You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Denver, Chris Lopez here, and I have a great guest in the studio today. And his investing career hits a lot of the major milestones that many investors go through. Started out not knowing what real estate investing was, had some dramatic life events that got mentioned in retiring early, paid off a house, did a house hack, bought a fourplex, invest in some syndications, adapted a strategy, is continuing to invest, has now turned his investing interest and his passions and merged that with a side hustle as well to help a local group continue to raise money for their investments. So really cool story and a great guest. Eric Garber, live in the studio, man. Thanks, happy to be here. Yeah, so we met, I think, four years ago, we got in this, five years ago? It would have been the fall of 2019. 2019, all right, so about four years ago. I know we got talking then, uh, obviously for real estate investing, uh, but let's rewind. I think 2015 was a, a year for you. Uh, not a great year, but it was a year. You had two, as you call it, two atomic bombs. If you don't mind sharing that with us and how that kind of jumpstarted you into looking at how to retire through real estate. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll preface it with just up to that point, I hadn't thought much about my taking control of my financial future. I was just relying on the fact that I had a pension at work. I had a 401k match. And the the atomic bombs that you mentioned in 2015, I got divorced, which wiped out about 30% of my net worth in one fell swoop. And my company of, I guess, what at the time, like 12 years, decided to freeze the pension plan, which when I ran that out, it was a significant hit to my future retirement income. It was like a seven-figure hit. Seven, kind of yeah, like a seven-figure right? hit. And it really all you know, came together right around the same time, um, really in the, the same few months, and caused me to start to think long and hard about taking control of my financial health in the future. So random question here. I've always been told the rule of three, bad things happen in three. You had two bad things, divorce, the pension wipeout. Was there another whammy in there? Um, hopefully not. <laughs> if I'm going back to like, I remember that's something that was a group with my, my mom always there, tell me that for some reason. It's funny you ask that because there actually was, uh, but it's, it's a little more personal uh, and I'll, I'll leave it out. But to answer the question, yes, there actually was. There we go. So we don't have to go to the podcast, proves, but the, the rule of three, the right? Rule, yeah. It's the that rule of thumb. It's it's eerily scary. All right. So 2015, a uh, big part of your future retirement got wiped out, which for a lot of people before they get into you know learning how to invest themselves is, hey, great. My 401k, my company, they're going to take care of me. Divorces are, you know, horrible things. And then how did you go from that, you know, you know, getting punched a few times and kind of like a probably a low point. How'd you pivot and to uh, start investing in real estate and change your story? Yeah. So at, at that point, I, as a, it took about a year, kind of dust settled. I paid off my house again. I wasn't, I wasn't really following the, the Dave Ramsey method by any intentionality, but I had just sort of done that. Um, so I realized as I started looking at my situation that 
all of my all of my existing or still existing net worth was tied up either in my house equity or my 401k so in a retirement plan and i really i this was the first point in my life where i was like well that that's probably not going to work um because at this point i i started taking a hard look at at my life as a whole and i was like you know what i don't think that the typical work till 65 67 classic retirement age stuff was what i wanted i think i started thinking about you know getting out earlier than that and hopefully you know by about 50 uh so as i started digging into that i started consuming a ton of of books and uh i guess i didn't really get into podcasts at that point but talking to people reading books was was the main thing any like impactful books yeah, I would say two things really, really shifted my focus. One was uh, Scott Trench's Set for Life. Oh, uh, that's a fabulous book. Yes. That that should be like required reading for everyone. Yeah, that, that <laughs> was super powerful for me. And then also the, the purple book, the uh, Kiyosaki. Oh, I've never heard it called the purple book. Yeah, I think I've heard people call it like the Purple Bible or something. I've heard I've heard it called yeah, I've heard the Bible reference. I like that though. Uh so so those two books were were extremely impactful. Although like Scott's book didn't come out until 2017. So I think one of the things that it's it's embarrassing to say, but I think it's probably good to say so that people can hear that, you know, it took me a long time. <laughs> to to get to where I am today and and I'm not even talking about like a net worth number or something like that I'm talking about just strategy wise figuring it out right yeah figuring it out and so like I got I got all the immediate hard stuff sorted and and kind of got my financial footing back by the end of 2015 but I'd say the first actual like real step that I took to towards my current strategy, you know, wasn't wasn't really until 2018. So from 20 end of 2015 to basically like the beginning of 2018, that was all analysis paralysis and talking to people and learning and just beating my head against a computer screen. Cause I can I can I jump yeah, in here? Jump because in. you're uh you're I mean you're more analytical by nature. You are an engineer, so you tend to be, you know, analytical and a lot of people run the same paralysis by analysis. How did you overcome that and how what would what advice would you give to your younger self or other people in that same situation right now? Oh gosh, that's a hard one because it, in my case, it took me learning some key things to be able to take, take positive steps forward. Um, I guess the best thing I would say is, you know, find somebody or find, you know, some group that whatever they're doing resonates with you and they've had some kind of success and really dig into that and see how to get a foothold there. And if there's something there you can implement, um, because I started talking to to so people like finding a mentor almost or a mentor, or a mentor group, or it could it could be that it could also be just if you have a friend that's that's done some good stuff like I had I was talking to people that ended up being very successful in real estate and I kind of 
I don't, I don't think I listened well enough. I think it took a couple of years for me to unlock some things in my brain to be able to hear the message, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but hopefully people won't be as stubborn as me and they'll be able to talk to some people and, and see like, Hey, you know, they're doing this. That makes a lot of sense to me. I want to try that. And then, and then, yeah, you go the mentorship route, you go the, the group route, mastermind, whatever. There's all kinds of opportunities with meetups and other things available to us today. Okay. All right. So you started having a shift and I believe your first action was buying the house at Golden, right? Yes. Yeah. Un unpack that and like why house hacking? Um, and you're one of the few people I know the total side note actually house hack gold. A lot of people want to do it, but as you know, it's a great place to live. Numbers are, are dicey up there or harder to make. But just talk about whole the whole house hack experience because you have a great one. Yeah. So I I found a new construction in my neighborhood. It was you know, six blocks from my, my house that I'd been living in for, oh, really? for 15 years. Oh, I don't know that. Okay. Yeah. And so I just kind of happened to, across it as they were starting to build the first couple of units, checked it out. The, the floor plan seemed like it would work for a basement apartment. So I got in and before they'd even broke ground and we designed up the, the basement, had them finish the basement uh, at the same time they were building the house. So the day I moved in, I had a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment in the basement with its own laundry room, its own living room and its own kitchen, multiple storage closets. So basically no shared space. Uh, the only catch was that there was not a, an external entrance. So we share the front door, uh, which I didn't think was going to be a big deal, but lessons, lesson learned. That's a big deal. Like What's you, the layout? Is it like the front door coming like the living room where you're watching TV? Yeah. Home office? Okay. Yeah. And the, the basement stairs are right next to it. So it's not like you have to walk all the way across the house around the hallway. I mean, you just literally walk in, turn, go downstairs. Uh, and I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. But every time I have to show the place, people are like, oh, I love it. But I'm not sure I dig the, the shared mm -hmm. entry. So if you do have the opportunity to... Uh, to do a house hack in the basement and there's any way to to do a separate entrance are you able to throw highly like recommend a short that. drywall wall or anything and another door because we've had a lot of clients when, do that there's one thing that i could do it would be major it'd be pretty major okay and i think i'd then start to run into issues with permitting and zoning and i don't know how that would work with my hoa yeah. And it, well, a lot of time that sounds like it's one of those, you know, you look at like what's the return on investment on there. And that sounds like it's just probably way too much headache and way too much money. It sounds like for after the fact. Yeah. Because yeah. I think too, also like you've been, uh, I mean, every time I've talked to you, I've, uh, you've always seemed to have like a tenant in there. Like, I think you've had it successfully stopped for a long time, right? Yeah. The, the thing is, as long as you price it right, you're going to have a tenant. And that's, that's other lesson learned. Like, if you're not getting enough traffic and this is your first time trying to, to rent a room or, you know, rent a, some kind of unit, lower your price because it's amazing what $100 less or $200 less, or if you're really out of whack, you know, $500 less, but all of a sudden the interest starts flowing in. Yep. And so that was, that was one of the things that happened to me. I think it took me two or three months to get it rented initially because it was winter and I had a price too high. And so I just had to find that right that right thing but but yeah house hacking has been has been great super powerful tool even in golden like i mean it's it cuts my mortgage 
in, I guess, how would that be? I pay less than a third effectively of my mortgage. Like it's, it's pretty awesome. Wow. Or I shouldn't even say it like that. It, when I stack everything up, I mean, it, it saves me a, a ton of money and, and I live, I live for less than you would pay for a one bedroom apartment. And I have a brand new modern, you know, three bedroom, two bedroom, or sorry, three bedroom, three bathroom house that then I rent out the basement. There's just some things you have to deal with when you're sharing a space like that though. Like when your tenant accidentally discharges a shotgun into the ceiling while you're standing above him in the kitchen. Um, so there, there can be some fireworks, no pun intended. Uh, and, and the lesson learned on that one, because no firearms was already in the lease, um, is don't give people... Put a metal detector up? No. Front. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't give people second chances. Uh, they, they had done a couple of questionable things. They weren't big deals, but I could have just based like on... Like lease violations, essentially? But yeah, but proper lease violations. And I was like, ah, you know... They, they seem all right. They're they're apologetic. Like they're gonna do better. Don't give second chances. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I've you know just in business and life and rentals, same thing. If it's if someone's broken the rules, like it's more often than not, getting the second chance to come back and bite you in the butt, yeah. um, or get you shot in the foot, which thankfully you did not. Thankfully, um, but I mean, I mean, overall, like, would you go back and house hack again? Yeah. yeah. The, it's so powerful. Yeah. It so, reduces your expenses by so much. And then that opens up so much more investable assets per month. Yeah. All right. So we got the house hack. You said 2018, right? Yeah. 2018, got the house hack. And I think it was a year or two later, you bought your first direct rental, right? Which was the fourplex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why did you shift from house hacking to buying rentals? So when I moved out of my old house, remember it was paid off. Yeah. So my initial thought was I was going to rent the old house and I started running all the numbers and I couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I just, I didn't like what I was seeing. What was the rough numbers like back then? What did, what would have, what was the value and what would have rented for? So I ended up selling it for just over 400, like 427. Okay. And I think I would have been able to rent it for at least 2,500 conservatively, probably could have gone 3,000. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but it was an old house. There were things that certainly was going to have capital expenditures, was going to have some maintenance. And as I plugged all that into the spreadsheets, I I was like, the, the return on this isn't as great as I was thinking it would be after all the expenses and, and that. So I then made the same mistake and tried to figure out how to pay cash for something, you know, buy something outright, which meant basically like a two bedroom condo. Cause you're talking 200, $250,000. Yeah. Yep. And, I, and I was like, well, these numbers don't look great either, but I, I still didn't know why I didn't recognize that. So that was, you know, I sat down with you and Preston in the fall of 2019, I'd been, I'd had this huge lump sum sitting in my checking account now for like six, nine months. And you guys 
laid out a strategy for me, which was, hey, if this is what you're trying to get retirement, you know, early retirement income wise, then you can create this cash flow if you just buy two fourplexes. I remember all this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You just need to buy two fourplexes and then aggressively pay, pay them, them down. Yeah. And as soon as they're paid off, you you can live free and clear on this stuff. I think your goal, you're like eight or ten, you're eight or ten thousand a month was kind of right. At the time, I... yeah, it was like probably seven k ish at that point that we were thinking. And I totally forgot about that modeling. Yeah, yeah. So that we set out on that strategy, and uh, you guys found me an off market property in Longmont and bought the bought the fourplex, and you know, it was all systems go. Yep. And then that was. 2019. 2019. 2019. <clears throat> um, and then, so gosh, three years, that's a long time ago now. Um, all right, 2019. And of course, every rental property, there's some good, there's some bad, and some ugly, and all that stuff. So talk about that evolution. And then at the same, actually, two questions here. The evolution of that, and at what point did you make your first investment as a limited partner in syndication? Because I think that was... Mm-hmm. Right that was actually time? before. It was before. Okay. Yeah. That so was so Halsack, then the investment. Mm-hmm. What was the high level of that? Well, basically, I was trying to figure out how I was going to make the numbers work on some kind of rental. Wasn't sure what to do. Hadn't met you yet. Hadn't come up with the fourplex plan. So I, I knew some friends that I used to work with, and they they had been in real estate for a while. They started syndicating deals and were doing their second multifamily syndication. And they reached out and was like, hey, we're doing our next deal. Just wanted to see if you might be interested. And I was like, yes, I, I've got all this money <laughs> <laughs> sitting in my checking account. I'm making no progress. Um, yeah. And I was probably a little cavalier in how quickly and how much I put into their deal. But I knew I could trust them. These people were... So this is where like your analytical brain just quieted, shut off. But you're more and, yeah. like, hey, I, I know you, like you, trust you. Yeah. I'm investing with you, not the spreadsheet. Is that... Yeah. That accurate? Okay. Yeah. And and they actually... um, I filled out their little investor, interested investor thing. And Alex, the, the husband, calls me up. He's like, hey, are, are you sure you want to invest this much? And he was, you know... <laughs> concerned. He's like, can you afford this? Or do you know what you're getting into? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's good. I just sold my house. Like I got all this money, whatever. I need to invest it in real estate somehow. So that whole experience was, you know, looking back on it, uh, a little, a little naive. Um, but like you said, I knew, I knew wholeheartedly I could trust these, these folks. And, and so that, at the time was just a one-off. So like when I sat with you guys, I was just looking at the passive investment as, okay, well, when, when that yep. sells in five years and it returns a bunch of money, I'm just going to throw that towards the mortgage on mm. the, the fourplex. Or if I haven't gotten the new fourplex, the second one, There's your down payment, that's, right? you know, that's the down payment on that. Yep. So that's how I was viewing it. It, it had no, no lasting impact on my, my strategy at that point. Okay. And then uh, kind of like uh, multifamily value. And I was in Denver or Colorado Springs, right? That first one you did? The syndication was in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs. Okay, mm-hmm. great. So so local operators, Sarah and Alex doing a, you know, a local property in the Springs. 
Um, then you bought the you bought the fourplex, mm-hmm. and the syndications and past investing was still more just kind of like a side thought or just hey I'll do this and reposition it later. And then you know as you own the fourplex, life happened, COVID happened, all that. I, th- I think your strategy changed again. And this is something I want to give you a lot of credit for, and I'm high because you know you and I we know we we'll, you know we stand in touch, we talk, um, and I talk to a lot of people, and I see a lot of people get focused on like one strategy, and they just get like tunnel vision on there. Uh, and there's a good balance between hey, I got a really good strategy versus hey, I guess stay adaptable as well. Mm-hmm. And you stay adaptable based on you know marketing conditions, strategy, what's working, what's not, and also just your own personal situation. So at what point did you're like, hey, I want to shift more towards passive investing versus buying two fourplexes and paying them off. Yeah. So I had the, you know, the unique experience of being able to watch these two investments side by side, which, you know, a lot of people might not necessarily have that where I invested in both in 2019. And then over the next couple of years, got to see how they both performed. Oh yeah. And the, the fourplex was, was a lot more work and the numbers were a lot worse than even the the conservative numbers that I had put together. So, you know, when it came down to it, it it came down to really like a personal values thing. And and I don't know, I don't know how else to explain this. So maybe I'll I'll tell like a really brief story. Yeah. Um so I I used to have a manager at my first company and he was he was in real estate he's retired now doing awesome has lots of property and tons of money so i watched him as he he ran out of work he was a senior manager a lot of responsibility work he would run out of work at 5 30 p.m jet across town to either um aurora from southwest littleton you'd go up to aurora rush hour traffic or down to the castle, what is it? Castle, castle Rock, Rock, Castle Pines. To self-manage these rental properties that he owned. And he didn't complain about it once, right? So I met with him recently uh, to catch up. And I'm telling him about how, you know, the fourplex, it's, it's a pain in my butt. And I just really want to focus on passive real estate investments. And he's like, why aren't you self-managing? I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's in Longmont. I I don't want to deal with this. He's like, I, I don't understand. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Because I don't understand why, <laughs> why you were going off and, and self-managing these properties, working nights and weekends. You had kids in high school at the time. Yeah. Like, but so it really comes down to your your values. And I think you did a really good thing in one of your videos where you you did one of these bubbles and you were like your values and market goal strategy. Okay. Where's yeah. the sweet spot? Yep. So I think of it as like your values have to align with your strategy. Yes. Um and he's using hands like concentric circles overlapping to where they the overlap is. Yeah, the Venn diagram. Yes. For the that's the real word for the science people. <laughs> um, so it really came down to it was, was, were things so bad with the fourplex? No, but they didn't meet my expectations. My expectations were it was going to be less stress and more, more passive. Yep. I mean, I've had to fire two property managers and people say, oh, well, you know, property managers, whatever. 
you know, you got to make sure they're referred and, and you can, you're not just going with anyone. I'm like, both of them were referrals from you. Like you can have referrals from people that are, have their ear to the, the grindstone. I think you said once something about how, you know, the shelf life on property managers they're be, one notch below a contractor typically. Like yeah. you take your, your typical contractor and a lot of times they're great and then they either have successful or they go off into other things and property managers a lot, they they start off great and then, I don't know, it's a pattern. Very few can successfully operate and manage a PM company for a while. Yeah. Like so either they could, grow too big or they can't scale. Yeah, so they could be great yeah. one year and then the next year they start to... so. The bottom line is it it got I realized through ex- experiencing it that it just it wasn't it wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted yep. something that was going to be more passive, like truly hands off, truly hands off. Yeah. And I and I was seeing that happen as I was watching these side by side. I'm like, hey, I'm getting phone calls from the PM saying that a tenant's trying to sue me for something that's complete garbage is unfounded. And then, and then I'm getting an email from Alex and Sarah that's like, hey, the property's doing great. Your distribution's coming. And I'm like, I just had to cut a check to refill my cash reserves in my fourplex bank account. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting a check from, from the syndication. Hmm. You know what? I want more of this. Yeah. And so that's when I started to shift, shift my thinking and my strategy to you know, maybe not just fire sailing the fourplex, but let's, let's focus future investments and see, focus future investments on the passive investing, the syndications and see what happens if I can stabilize this property and make it not such a hassle. Yeah. So let's shift to the syndication side. Cause two things I really want to, as we have a few minutes left on here, talk about is your, your syndication ladder strategy. Um, and then you know, how you're going to tear things up to kind of plan cash flow and returns, uh, you know, later down the road. Uh, and then how that led into like a really cool opportunity for you, both as an investor and also as like, you know, basically a side hustle to get more into real estate. So talk about your syndication ladder if you could. Yeah. So it's real simple, basically just invest in syndications each year. And what that does for you is it creates cash flow. And then as they start to uh, sell off you know, per their business plan or have li- liquidity events, then you just keep reinvesting. And what you can see is that in a lot of these deals, just for easy numbers, they, they are trying to double your money in five years. Yep. So basically, if you think in the simplest sense, um, if you invest, let's say $100,000 a year for five years, then you create $100,000 a year of income, plus you can reinvest $100,000 starting year five as the first one sells off. So you can basically create a sustainable cash flow in five years if you go with the assumption that you have the money to uh, to invest initially. So I'm basically doing that where I'm just investing each year a certain amount so that down the road, you know, really starts to kick up five years in is that first deal sells. And so what it does when you do this type of strategy is it helps to mitigate some of the the issues or challenges you have with these types of illiquid investments, um, because not all of them are going to perform to their 
to their plan. Uh, so you winners, losers. Yeah. So you don't have everything yep. tied up in just one. Uh, you also, because you're investing in different ones each year, you know, if one sells off a little early, if one sells off a little late, like it sort of balances out some of the things. You may get more cash flow throughout from one, you may get less from another. So just diversifying effectively, yep. uh, you you mitigate some of the some of the concerns you might have with this type of investment because it's not it's not an investment vehicle that is going to be right for everybody. Yep. And so really like the way I like to, because uh, I think it's a great strategy and if you ever plug numbers in a spreadsheet and also I know you've got a really great spreadsheet too, you can, I'd recommend people reach out to you and see the spreadsheet you built. Um, you know, like uh, I always relate it to like dollar cost averaging to your 401k or retirement mm-hmm. account. Um, people, hey, you know, put, you know, hey, no matter what the market's doing, you know, put in 5,000, put in 10,000 a year or whatever. Same thing, kind of same concept with syndication letters. Hey, once a year, every six months, whatever. Hey, put in a chunk of money, mm-hmm. and you'll, you know, you're averaging yourself in the market while also building up the whole ladder of cash flows. So um, you've got that plan in place, and then how did you end up coming to be able to work with er- uh, Eric? Eric, how'd you come working with Alex and Sarah, who you were an investor with, and now you're working with them? Um, on some of their deals with their company. Because I think it's a really cool story and something a lot of people want to replicate out there because you are at a you have a really cool opportunity you're working on. Yeah, so basically, I, I loved what they were doing. I, I liked them as people. And I, like I said, had full trust in them. So as I invested, as I shifted my strategy to invest more and more in the syndications, well, I invested more and more with them. And as... As we started going along, I started thinking like, hey, I wonder if there's a way I can get more involved, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it, because I just talked about how the, you know, trying to deal with the fourplex and have active management of that, <laughs> that was something so ironic. Yeah, <laughs> that I wasn't interested in. Um, so here I am saying like, oh, how do I become active in something that's purely passive? It makes no sense. But I, I trust you. It makes no, it makes it sense. Makes sense. <laughs> it's just funny the way you said it. It makes sense because uh, I actually really, I think it's powerful. And and I like, I like talking about it. I like seeing if, if I can help people yeah. like sort out if it works in their strategies. So to answer your question, Alex was training for an Ironman and he invited me to do some runs with him, some training runs. And so we, we started running together on the weekends a little bit. And, and I started thinking, Hey, you know, I, is there any way I can get more involved? He's like, oh, I don't know. Let me think about it. And so just kind of planted the seed. And then nothing, you know, he went to his Ironman and nothing happened. And then he started training for a marathon. And so then he's like, hey, you want to meet up for a run? And so I was like, hey, you know, I was thinking about it. And, you know, is is there a way that I could become a GP on one of your deals in the future? Like, what what kinds of things could I do? You know, could I help you raise money or something? He's like, you know, now that you mention it, we should talk, you know, there might be an opportunity. And so that, that basically what led is a GP general partner. So the deals are split between the general partners who operate the deal in some capacity, who put the deal together. And then the limited partners, which are the passive, truly passive investors, which is what I had been to that point. Yeah. And so, so yeah, we, we, 
met for lunch like a month later and started talking and and figured out a way that I could start helping them out with some of their investor relations and some of their marketing because they'd been doing m- many more deals in 2022 than they had previously done. And so that started to facilitate some things where they couldn't do everything. They had some growing and scale yeah, pains in right? Exactly. So um, I have just been coming in trying to be a fresh set of eyes, apply some of my, you know, engineering experience, process improvement type stuff, and just try and lend any, you know, any help I can. So just trying to make myself valuable. And um, it's been a really, a really cool experience because like I said, I just, I really like talking about the stuff. I, I love nerding out on the, the personal finance and the investing thing. So a couple of things I want to highlight here, because I, I mean, you, you did this great job of like, you know, building a relationship and also creating opportunities essentially for yourself is what you did is like, you know, you, you had a relationship, you got to know the person, you offered to provide value and you asked for something You're like, Hey, how can I become a GP in this? Or how could I do this? Like you were, you were persistent. You were pleasantly persistent, I should say, because there's persistent so. and there's pleasantly persistent. Um, you know, where you just, hey, build a relationship, you're asking, you're doing this, you're learning more, you're being active, but also be known, hey, I could do this. What about this? What about this? And for like most people, it you know, you don't go Saturday morning, go for a run, have a cup of coffee, then all of a sudden you're a GP, but over months and years, as you're building that relationship, all of a sudden, hey, the timing is right. Mm-hmm. Something happens in, in that person's life, you know, good or bad, they may go through a divorce. Uh, their business may grow, they may start a family, but you know, something changes like, and they're like, oh, who can I talk to? And then they're going to go through their mental Rolodex and you're probably at the top or near the top of it. So like really good job. And I hope other people like realize what you did there was you executed very well and something that's like a very tried and true process. I've done this, you've done this, many other people have done it, but being able to find that like, you know, person you look up to and the mentor, but offer value and stay persistent. That's a great opportunity for yourself. So I think your title with them is investor advocate, right? Mm-hmm. So what exactly does that mean? And this is, um, I, I didn't know their name, but I know, I know Sarah and Alex. I've met them like once and kind of we have a lot of like overlapping circles. So I've never, I've never talked to more about five minutes, but I've only heard like great things about them. And the investment group is Regency Investment Group. And as investor advocate, what's kind of like the high level of your role like? I'm helping them build out some investor education resources, as well as having conversations with investors, whether that's current investors or prospective investors. And so anything along those lines, I'm just digging in where I can, trying to provide value. So systems and basic capital raising, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and those are, uh, as overall, like those are two very great skill sets to have and also two things that are often needed by, uh, by many people in real estate. So um, you've been to Wealth of Information. I think a lot of people can relate to your story of, you know, ever, you know, dealing with the atomic bombs, house hacking, buying properties, pivoting, getting into like creating some opportunity for yourself. How can people get a hold of you to, to learn more, to pick your brain, to invest with you? What's the best way? The best way is to just email me. And so I'm sure we'll link to my email oh, yeah. or something, but it's just eric at regencyinvestmentgroup.com. Yeah. That's that's the best way because uh, having the day job, sometimes I'm not going to be available on yeah. the phone. But but yeah, hit me up. We'll get all my contact information, get Regency's contact information in there. Um, but I'm excited to 
to share my experiences as well as just try and put some fresh thoughts out there uh, through some investor resources on the Regency website. So that's going to be an exciting thing over the next few months. Want to watch that and see what what kind of content pops up there. I've got a case study that's going to hit soon. Ooh, send that to me when you, I want to take a look okay. at it. And then I recently just published an article called The Latte Lie Could Be Costing You Millions, which is my dig at uh, Susie Orman and some of that that crew. So, what does she say about, I don't know, what, what I know Susie Orman. What's your what's your beef with expensive coffee? Or is she saying enjoy it? No, so so the beef is is for focusing on cutting the cost of expensive coffee as your priority versus looking at how your investments are performing. Oh yeah. And so I kind of play play this thing out to show okay, what's more powerful, frugality or investing right? And I think that the narrative that's out there is dangerous for the higher earners, which when we're talking about syndications in, in that world, we're typically talking to people that have a little more little more capital, have a little higher well, these salary. Credit investors too, which is... Yeah, well, and, and that's one of the cool things about Alex and Sarah's group is that we do deal with sophisticated investors. So oh, nice. you don't have to be accredited to invest. Um, and that was how I got started, which was awesome. I was not an accredited, accredited investor <laughs> back then. Um, but yeah, just kind of looking at how if you focus on the wrong thing, you could be coming up with very suboptimal solutions. And I run that out over some scenarios that, I mean, you'll look at this and go, oh, I'm pretty sure Lon's done something exactly like this because some of the the webinars you guys have done have very similar types of things, but you start to see the difference between getting 2% more over 30 years versus saving an extra oh, it adds up $5,000 a year or something like that. It's yeah. crazy what the difference is. We're talking millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. So early on, because you know, my college degree is a uh, financial planning. I did reverse, uh, kind of reverse all that where I was like, oh, I do all this like, you know, me as a financial planner, helping people invest money. And I also look at my own stuff and I'm like a index fund investing guy for the stock market. I was like, oh, wow, those you know, the the fees that many mutual funds and planners have when they can't, you know, outperform the stock market is usually a one to two percent fee. Mm-hmm. And those fees, I was like, wow, over 20 years, it's a lot of money. It's what you said there. Yeah. Um, so don't get me wrong, though. I, I love frugality. I mean, I'm a oh, house yeah. hacker, right? Like frugality is is part of my life, but it's just it's more about distracting you, you by being frugal yeah and distracting you from the things that you should be doing yeah i think that is so well said eric i'm glad you came on the podcast thank you i encourage a lot of people reach out to eric pick his brain on just like investing strategies uh putting together a game plan look at past investing i've known eric for a number of years now and uh, uh you're a great guy and you're very intentional about like your research and the way you do things like your analytical brain, like crosses all, and then you, you share it, which I appreciate. So I highly recommend if you guys have any interest, talk to Eric, wealth information, great guy, all his contact details are below. And he's actually also one of our uh, chapter contributors in the 2023 book, which will be coming out pretty soon when this podcast hits. So you'll get to see, read him on there and hopefully meet him at a networking event too. Eric, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.